Have you ever heard the story of the man's voice was deep but not coarse? It was calm but not entirely soothing, measured but not all thought out. The left side of his face was illuminated by a bright and cheerful fire, a fire that did not match the mood of the quiet room. A flagon of something brown and hazy sat next to a plate of dark yellow cheese on a warm oak table. Smoke from the fire wisped up through and above the stone chimney, joining the dance of smoke columns from a hundred other fires in a hundred other cottages. Interlocking and weaving up into the dark evening sky, the columns gave one last glance at the land below before meeting the moon. The earth below on which the village sat was soft and marshy, not quite a swamp, but certainly not dry land. Broadly, the village and land below it lay to the west of its capital city, Sinsital, on the fringes of the country of Minuskir. No war had been seen in either the village or its country for centuries, so besides the occasional brigand or monster in the dark forest firth far to the north and east, merchants and traders were able to come and go, making great and peaceful profits. There had been rumors circulating in the highest courts of the land that armies were gathering in the south, in the strange and unfriendly land of Seol. But the south was far away. The courts were unimaginably high, and the man in his cottage had a story to tell. His voice droned on and on for hours on end, ending only after the moon had dipped below the horizon and the stars were waning in their courses. It was a story about knights, a story about dragons, a story about beautiful maidens sought by both. The fire followed the man's meanderings until just about dawn it gave up its last ember. Just as the heroic knight overcame the wicked fire dragon and won the princess's hand, the sun peaked above the tree line leagues away. The boy had been sleeping for hours. In fact, he had listened for only half an hour before drifting off. But in his sleep, far from losing the narrative, the old man's tale came alive. In the boy's head, goblins plotted around fires. Soldiers stood shivering on frosty ramparts, keeping watch. And, beyond the farthest reach of the most detailed parchment map, a dragon slept. The story was real, more real than listening, more real than words on paper could do justice to, perhaps more real than the real history itself. But every day the sun would come up, the story would die, and life would continue. And so years passed. The boy's grandfather died one night. The town's population ebbed and dwindled until it became just a collection of a dozen families. The boy grew into a young man, and far away, across the country, wind battered the mountain boulders. In the square of the town, there sat a well. It was a nasty, dirty, wet well, filled with the ends of worms and emanating an oozy smell. Fortunately for the villagers, it was not a dry, bare, sandy hole with no water, like the ones in surrounding villages. It was a watery well, and for the villagers, that meant life. The well served as a sort of gathering place because everybody in the town needed to make the trip at some point every day. It was a natural magnet for small talk on the good days and gossip on the bad. 
Whether it was about a strange traveler or wandering merchant who had passed through the day before, or discussing national happenings brought to the town every month by a royal herald, conversation at the well was bound to happen. The task of drawing water that would normally take ten minutes took for the most talkative citizenry the better part of an hour. Some would pack lunches in anticipation of a long day of conversation. In hopes of avoiding these long and winding conversations, the boy, though he was now more a young man, would go down to the well late at night and draw enough water to last days. His days involved hours of work on the town farm, punctuated by lunches and dinners with fellow farmhands. The people who worked on the farm were quite different from the busybodies that essentially inhabited the well area. Less talkative and more thoughtful when talk did happen, they cared more about finishing the day and their work than catching up on the latest gossip. At any rate, the young man had to go to the well occasionally. When he did, he held his nose against the smell, clenched the rotting ropes as hard as he could, and when he was done, made a quick escape away back to the house they lived in alone. On one dark and blustery day, this routine was interrupted. A larger gathering than usual, made up of all sorts of ragtag villagers and even a few farmers from out of town milled about the well, occasionally peering down into it. As he came closer and heard the bits and snippets from various excited conversations, Almerick put together that the town cat, a stray called Wish, that wandered from house to house, had fallen into the well. Due to the reticent nature of the feline, its absence had not been noticed until a curious smell began emanating from the town well. Soon enough, the curious smell turned into an unpleasant and inconvenient stench. Despite their best rescue efforts, the townsfolk had not been able to retrieve what was undoubtedly at this point a carcass. Pushing through the curious assembly, Almerick saw what brought so many people to the well at that particular time. Five men stood around the structure, fastening a new rope to the wooden winch. The old rope, rotted and frayed, lay half-coiled on the grass next to the well. It wasn't in Almerick's nature to be inquisitive, but something, he couldn't tell what, prompted him to walk up to the group. "'What are you doing?' he asked, pushing his hands out of his pockets. "'Get that cow out of the well for good,' replied one of the men, barely turning around to answer the question. "'What else could one be doing tying a rope to a well with an odor like this?' "'Fair point,' responded Almerick, holding his nose and peering into the well. "'But what are you doing with the rope that will help?' The man that had answered before looked up, and after taking stock of the farmhand, backed away to his companions. After silently conversing for a few moments, the first man turned back. "'As a matter of fact,' he said, laying down the rope, "'something you might be able to do to help with.' "'As a matter of fact,' he said, laying down the rope, "'something you might be able to help with.' The plan, as the man explained to Almerick, while the crowd slowly dissipated, was to send a likely lad down into the well, secured by the rope, and retrieve the cat in whatever state it was, because, as the men reasoned, the farmhand was much lighter and more fit than his elders. He was the best choice. Besides, there was a monetary incentive, two gold pieces, contributed by a pool of townsfolk, 
eager to be rid of the smell. Money of any sort, combined with the strange desire to investigate the well, was enough to motivate Almerich. Besides, it wasn't harvest season. The farmers weren't sowing, and there were plenty of other farmhands. And so Almerich took the men up on their offer, watching them finish fastening their rope. The crowd, noticing that something was happening once again, began reforming around the well. It was nearly dusk, so the men lit lanterns, hanging them from hooks in the well canopy. Lots of people in the crowd had torches, too, giving off enough light to easily work by. It didn't take long for the men to finish fastening the new rope to the winch, and then the other end around Almark's waist. Well, said the first man, looking around his shoulder at the gathered crowd, I guess there isn't much worth waiting for. You ready? Almark, nodding to the affirmative, stepped on the slightly raised stone ring. Although he was far from what most people would call nervous, the initial excitement for adventure had nearly worn off. In its place, a strange apprehension had come, not fear, but neither excitement. Good luck down there. Tug on the rope a few times when you've got the cat. Will do, replied Almark, looking down into the well. Make sure you have that gold. Oh, we will, said the man, almost in unison with another of his compatriots. With that reassurance, Almark knelt down, turned, and dropped into the well. Slowly stepping down from stone to murky stone, he had to hold his nose against the petrifying stench. Moss and other strange algae growth covered each stone, making for a slippery and somewhat harrowing journey down. Reflecting on the many gallons of water that he himself had consumed from this very well, Almark's disgust was somewhat heightened by the ubiquity of the plant growth. However, there was not much he could do immediately about the problem. Task with locating a cat carcass, removing all the algae and replacing the stones would be perhaps a later project. However it went, Almerk swore to himself that he would never take another drink from that well until it had been cleaned. It was a large oath to keep and somewhat unrealistic, but in the moment it seemed reasonable. The light from the lanterns above waned as Almark progressed lower. From his best guesses, the farmhand figured that he was about halfway down, but with only tricklings of light reflecting off the water far below, it was too hard to tell for sure. Almark had just begun to reflect on how best to dive underwater with the rope attached when, thinking of the rope, it began to visibly fray under the strain. Now Almark was nervous. The fraying rope and slippery stones made for an even more harrowing journey down. He was sure that the rope would snap if the man above even tried to pull him up. On the other hand, he was equally sure that if he tried to get pulled up, the men wouldn't cooperate, valuing the stench's extinction even above Almark's life. And so the farmhand continued downward, towards the murky water still far below. A foot slipped, a stone fell, splashing heavily into the water below, and the rope finally snapped. Almerich, following the rock, hurtled down the well and fell, unbroken by any outjutting rock or miracle, hit the water. The fall, almost unfortunately, did not render him completely unconscious. Half-conscious and in great pain, he floated on the water's surface for a moment before beginning to sink. Seconds later, he blacked out.